them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we consider the words of the gospel today, I just want to ask you to consider what you bring with you into this time of worship today. I used to have a gentleman who would refer to his body as instrument. He'd say, I know I was starting to get all bent out of shape when I would, when I would feel like something up in my forehead tighten up and when my jaw would begin to hurt. Some of you have probably had a week like that where you felt your shoulders, your forehead, your, your jaw tighten up. Sometimes we don't even realize how tense we are. I had something to do yesterday afternoon that, I, that I'd been avoiding for a long, long time. I didn't realize how tense I was till I was holding my coffee cup and I was holding it so hard I broke the handle of my coffee cup. just happens. I don't know what you're bringing in here today. But God intends for us to hear the words of the gospel. And I invite you to inhale deeply, to exhale. I invite you to relax your brow, your jaw, your shoulders, whatever it is that this week has placed upon you, and hear the words of the gospel afresh. Let us pray. Lord, use your servants' lips, your people's ears and hearts, that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Last week, the first Sunday in Lent, we talked about the geography of faith. The geography of faith, the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is this twofold reality. On the one hand, there are, there are frightening beasts in the wilderness. There is the tempter and temptation in the wilderness. On the other hand, there are the ministering angels of God in the wilderness. It's a once, at once a place of fear and a place of transformation through faith. Today, we're going to be talking about the economy of the gospel 
the prophet and loss of faith as Jesus is headed to the cross. And make no mistake, Jesus is headed to the cross. The Gospels have often been described as passion stories with extended introductions. Passion stories, the story of Jesus' last week or our last couple of weeks with extended introductions. And we can see that because talk of the cross begins in the 8th chapter of Mark. There are 16 chapters of Mark, which means that as we go into the 8th chapter of Mark, we're not quite halfway into the Gospel before we realize that the rest of the Gospel is somehow going to take us to the cross and to the resurrection. And Jesus heads to the cross on purpose. Now we can do things on purpose, or we can lack a clear purpose, One of the strangest quotes that I've ever heard comes from a guy named Tom Whitaker who lives in Arizona. Tom Whitaker is a mountaineer. And so in Time Magazine, oh, almost 30 years ago, in Time Magazine, Tom Whitaker said this, one of the things that really attracts me about mountaineering is its total pointlessness. So I've dedicated my life to it, he said. Well, when Jesus is headed to the cross, it's not dedicating himself to something that is pointless. It's the reason why he came. It is that moment when humanity and God who've been estranged, this gap between men and women and their creator is bridged. Jesus is headed to the cross and he begins talking about the cross in this scripture lesson that we are reading today. Then he began to teach them. This is Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now in case they didn't get it that time, that's the first time, in one chapter further, he says it again. He repeats himself. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. Now in case they didn't get it the first time or the second time, in one more chapter, he says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. The cross begins to be mentioned in the 8th chapter of Mark and we see that this is a story about redemption. This is not the story of a great healer who goes around performing magic tricks like so many in Jesus' day did. This is not a great wisdom teacher who had students who would teach them a kind of secret wisdom, although Jesus did plenty of teaching. This is the story of the one who came to save the world by offering himself on the cross. And Peter hears Jesus. And Peter doesn't like what he hears. 
He says, no way, this is not how this story is going to end. And the scriptures say, Peter rebuked Jesus. Now here's the question. As Peter is rebuking Jesus, who's the disciple? And who's the teacher? Well, Jesus said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter wants a Savior fashioned in his image. Peter wants to be the teacher and tell Jesus how to be the Messiah. That's an awfully easy thing for us to do. We baptize our favorite causes. We baptize our favorite ideas. And and we want Jesus to think like us. Forgetting that God himself often has a plan that is grander, that is more intricate, that is wider in time and space than we can ever imagine. In the Old Testament, God puts it this way. In Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Peter says... There can't be a Messiah who's killed. And Jesus says, the way for God and humanity to be reconciled is for a Messiah who gives himself for the life of the world. So Jesus is headed to the cross. Jesus also offers us this prophet and loss statement this understanding of what it means to profit, to prosper, and what it means to lose. Jesus offers us this truth that apart from Him, we are nothing. A man named Marshall Cummins from Tulsa, Oklahoma, was accused of purse snatching. Well, against his... Judge's better judgment, Marshall Cummings decided to be his own lawyer in his case. He wasn't very successful. As he cross-examined the victim, he asked this question. Did you get a good look at my face when I took your purse? (laughs) The jury convicted him and gave him a 10-year prison sentence. This profit and loss, following Jesus is the way to profit. Following Jesus is the way to life. Following Jesus is the way to have what it is that God has intended for us to have. And unless we follow Jesus, then somehow we miss what God has intended for us. Now, we might try countless other paths... There's always the path of pleasure. Whatever feels good, do it. You don't have to go far from anybody's home. You don't have to go far in a large city. 
You don't have to go far to find people who live their lives by pleasure. Whatever feels good, do it. Likewise, you don't have to go far to find people who think that success comes from financing, from having the largest bank account, from having the most successful the most successful kinds of investments. We might try the path of importance in the world's eyes. Importance in the world's eyes where we see whoever has the most influence, whoever can tell the most people what to do, whoever has the most impressive educational attainments. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with pleasure that is godly. There's nothing wrong with financial success with those who are generous and do God's will with what they acquire. There's nothing wrong with being the best that you can be or attaining the highest level that you can attain. But listen to what Jesus says. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul. The word for life, the word for soul is the same in Greek. And so some translations will say soul, some will say life. But the point of this in Mark's gospel is this. Following Jesus is the way to life. And as you are following Jesus more closely, you are living more fully. And as you are following Jesus less closely, life, real authentic life, gets farther and farther away. The third piece of our text today, the the third part is this idea of living boldly, confidently, living unashamed. Now, I don't know when the last time you've had a vacuum cleaner salesman come to your house was. I bought one of those vacuum cleaners 25 years ago, and it's held up wonderfully. I have to change a screw every now and then. Um, I've had to change the power cord on it one time, but I can repair the thing. It's just, it's just wonderful. But you know how they can come in, and they've got their little tricks that they want to do. Well, this vacuum cleaner salesman was bold and he knocked on the door of a remote farmhouse and when the lady of the house opened the door he walked in and he dumped a bag of dirt on the floor of the farmhouse now boasted the salesman I want to make a bargain with you if this super duper new vacuum cleaner doesn't pick up every bit of this dirt I will eat what is left Here's a spoon, said the farmer's wife. We don't have any electricity. (laughs) There are bold things that we can do. 
There are ways that we can live confidently. There are ways that we can be unashamed. Paul wasn't ashamed. Listen to what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the American, to the Indonesian, to the Haitian, to the Korean. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been ashamed to know someone? For whatever reason, embarrassed by how they behave, don't want anybody to know in public that you're with them. Now, if you're a teenager, that happens all the time. <laughs> with your parents, you just, you, know, you just sort of want to back off sometimes, but... You know, occasionally as a pastor, this is something that uh, there's only one hospital within 60 miles that will allow a pastor to have a visit right now because of the pandemic. This could change because our numbers are changing. Who knows? But uh, I've been on pastoral visits in hospitals before um, that I I was embarrassed to say that I was someone's pastor. I arrived in a hospital room one day after after the patient had thrown a fit. Not only had he thrown a fit, but he'd yanked the phone out of the wall and thrown the phone at his nurse. They were in the process of kicking him out of the hospital when I arrived. Well, who is this gentleman? The nurse said. I'm thinking to myself, please don't say my pastor. Please don't say my pastor. He said, well, this guy's my pastor. And I thought to myself, please don't say what church. Please don't say what church. You know the kind of person that, that you're, you're just embarrassed sometimes to be around. Never happy. Never satisfied. Always upset about something. Always griping and complaining about something. Paul wasn't ashamed. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel, and Jesus warns us about being ashamed of him. Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, about a third of my close friends are non believers, they know that I'm a believer. It doesn't mean that that I paint faith on the side of my car and Jesus saves on the other side. It doesn't mean that on the trunk of my car I say, hell is real. Or Ezekiel 26.5. I don't even know what Ezekiel 26.5 is, so it could be appropriate or not. But it means that when we're having real conversations... I'm not ashamed of who I am as a person of faith. I'll say, well, I'm a Christian, and as a Christian, I believe that life matters. And so I believe that we need to do things, that we need to promote things that promote life. I'll tell my friends who are non-believers, I pray for you. And I mean it. I do pray for them. I pray for them often. And I don't pray for them in a way that is offensive and obnoxious. 
My prayer is not, Sam is the stupidest fella in the whole world for not believing. God, just knock him up beside the head with somebody's Bible so that, so that he will get out of his, his funk of not believing. No, I tell my friends what I pray for them. Say, I'm a believer. Like I said, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, I know that you doubt, but I pray that you will begin over the weeks and months and years ahead to doubt your doubts. Being unashamed doesn't mean being obnoxious. It doesn't mean pulling out a bullhorn and yelling at those who walk by. Being unashamed simply means being a Christian and being okay with who you are. Now the flip side of this, this is from Mark, we also get in Matthew and Luke another version of this. And in Matthew and Luke, they present both sides of this. Where Jesus says, everyone therefore who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others... I also will deny before my Father in heaven. We may live unashamed. And unashamed doesn't mean overbearing. Unashamed means we know who we are. We're comfortable in our own skin. And we are willing to share who we are with those who need us to share that with them. As we're in the second Sunday of Lent, here we are, we are walking together. The geography of Lent is this wilderness experience where there is both fear and blessing, where there is danger and transformation. That's, that's the geography of Lent. The economy of Lent is that it profits us nothing if we lose our soul. It profits us nothing if we fail to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. It profits us nothing if we don't recognize that what He's done on the cross gives us the ability to live lives that are unashamed with the greatest profit that can ever be known. The profit of being in union with God united through Father, Son, and Spirit to the divine love and divine life. And God calls us to this. God calls us to an abundant living where we know God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are grateful for what happens on the cross as Jesus bridges that gap between God and us. Make no mistake, there's a gap. There's a gap between you and God. There's a gap between God and me. There's, there's a gap that only Jesus can fill. And He's done it. And if we're not ashamed of Him, He's not ashamed of us. And will invite us into His family 
and embrace us with his love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.